Well, great to have all of you here today. And for those of you uh, joining us online, awesome to have you too across all of our campuses. Welcome to you. We got a, a taste of spring and the new life that is to come. And that's exciting this weekend. It reminds us of God's unfailing love as well. Do you know a man named Edward Kimball? Anybody know that name across our campuses? Do, do you know Ed, Edward Kimball? You need to know Edward Kimball. Let me, let me share his story with you. Edward Kimball lived in Chicago, and he worked in the next generation ministry of his church, teaching Sunday school specifically to students. And he was very concerned in particular about one student in his class that continued to resist the claims of Jesus and the, the new life that God wanted to bring to that student's life through Christ. And so Edward visited this student in the place that he worked in downtown Chicago. This student worked in a shoe store in town. And so Kimball visited him there and found the student working in the back room, stocking shelves, and began to share again about the love of Jesus, that God came and, and spared no expense in giving his own son, Jesus, to, to take upon his sins and all the things past, present, and future that was broken about him, that, that Jesus paid all of that for him and offers him new life. And, and that day, in the, the back room of that shoe store, that student relented, gave his heart and his life to Jesus, accepted Christ right there. The young man's name in Chicago that day in the, the shoe store, that back room, who accepted Jesus, his name was Dwight L. Moody. Eventually, Moody left the shoe store and became one of the greatest preachers and evangelists of all time. Moody, whose international speaking took him all over the place, was in the British Isles and preached a, a sermon in a little chapel there, pastored by a young man named F.B. Meyer. Meyer had quietly thought about quitting the ministry because he had deemed his ministry ineffective. D.L. Moody that day told Meyer an emotionally charged story about a Sunday school teacher who never gave up on him and who personally went to every student in his class and shared the new life of Jesus with them one by one. He shared the story that day of Edward Kimball. But the story gets even better. That message changed F.B. Meyer's ministry and his life and inspired him to himself become an evangelist just like D.L. Moody. And over the years, Meyer came to America traveling all over the place. And while he was speaking in the Northeast, a, a young preacher heard Meyer say, if you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? That remark led Wilbur Chapman to respond to the call of God on his life. And Chapman went on to become one of the most effective evangelists of his time. There was a young man who volunteered in Chapman's ministry by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday helped set up uh, Chapman's crusades and learned how to preach by watching Chapman. Billy Sunday eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming one of the most dynamic evangelists of the 20th century. Billy Sunday's preaching brought thousands to Christ. Inspired by the 1924 Billy Sunday crusade right here in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of dedicated Christians prayed that their city would experience a revival, and they committed themselves to bringing gospel renewal to their city. This group 
out of that prayer, invited an evangelist who worked for Billy Sunday named Mordecai Ham to come and hold a series of evangelistic meetings here in 1934. They set up a tent at the intersection of Pecan and Central Avenues. A lanky 16-year-old sat in a huge crowd right there at the intersection of Pecan and Central one evening, spellbound by the message of the white-haired preacher, Mordecai Ham. Night after night, the teen came and finally went forward, giving his life to Christ and the claims of new life through Jesus. Billy Graham would go on to say that he knew that night in that tent in Charlotte, North Carolina, that his life had been changed forever, that he had crossed from death to new life in Jesus. Charlotte's own Billy Graham communicated the gospel to more people than any other person in the history of the world. And it all started with a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. Millions upon millions of lives have been affected by Kimball's simple decision to go to a shoe store in downtown Chicago one ordinary afternoon and bring the new life of Jesus, share gospel renewal with just one more person. I wonder how many people across our campuses today have been influenced by Kimball's decision to bring gospel renewal into that shoe store that day. We should never underestimate how God can use our simple obedience to him. Bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world begins with one conversation, one step towards someone, one act of service, one invitation sharing Jesus with just one more person. We're in a series entitled, This Is Us. It's a conversation that we're having about two churches becoming one new church. And it's been such an important series for us to to lay down um, a foundation for for who we want to be and and what we want to be about and, and where we want to go as a church. And I would encourage you, if you've missed any of these sermons over the last five weeks that you would go back and listen to them online. And this is part five, if you can believe it or not, in our series. And next week, we're going to talk about our new name together as a church and our new logo shared together as as one new church. But before we get there, let me just say this about a name and about a logo. They're just tools in a toolbox. Personalities, programs, plans, logos, names, they all change. There's only one thing that doesn't change, and that's the purposes of God. So our name and our new logo will just be a tool to share our purpose, and that's what really counts. And so we've been talking about our purpose together in this series. Our shared purpose is to be a community of Christ followers, bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world. In fact, let's, let's say it together. As a church, our purpose is to be, let's say it together, a community of Christ followers bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world. Thank you. And there's three important statements that we wanted to to make in our purpose as as a new church together. We wanted to talk about who we are, that we are a community of Christ followers. Last week we talked about who first and then what. Before we get into all the things that we want to do in the name of Jesus, we want to talk about who we are because of Jesus. We are a sacred community of Christ followers. 
And I'm so excited that last week between our Next Step classes and our group link across all of our campuses, some 150 people took a step towards biblical community here. And we've talked about the fact that we want to move from rows as we're sitting in today to circles. Because something amazing happens as we step out of rows and we step into circles and experience life together, intimate life together. And we talked about the fact that biblical community for us as a church is comprised of of three things, and we get it right from the scriptures. We want to be a place that is stirred by the Bible, that takes the truth of God and talks about it with each other, discusses it, even debates it, and encourages one another with the truth of the scriptures, to be stirred by the scriptures together. We want to be a church and biblical community that struggles well with life together. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. And we carry one another's burdens. We remind one another of the truth of who God is as we live out community and we struggle well together. And then thirdly, we want biblical community for all of us to be a place where we serve others. We serve one another, but we serve our city and we serve our world. So last week we talked about the who, a community of Christ followers. This week we're going to talk about what? Bringing gospel renewal. And next week as we finish the series, we'll round it out by talking about where? If you have your scriptures, I want to encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through chapter 6, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through chapter 6, verse 1. And we'll talk about bringing gospel renewal by looking at this incredible passage of scripture. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, beginning in verse 17, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. This is an incredible passage, an incredible word picture of what it means to bring gospel renewal. In fact, I would say this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through chapter 6, verse 1, can serve as a a north star for our new church about what we want to do together, orienting us in our purpose to bring gospel renewal. Paul begins here in the passage by saying, there's a new you that never gets old. Did you know that? Verse 17, there's a new you that never gets old because of Jesus. Christianity is not a self-help program. Christianity is not a behavior modification plan. It's not six steps to a better you. Christianity is a new you. Jesus didn't leave heaven and come to earth to improve you or to make you better. Jesus came to make you new. He came to make you new. 
So it turns out Jesus isn't your co-pilot after all. He came to take over and to make you a new creation. Everything in your life, everyone listen to this, everything in your life today will get old one day. The car that you drove here today, whatever campus you're on, the car that you drove, one day somebody else will drive. The clothes that you're wearing today, one day someone else will wear. The toys that you play with, one day someone else will play with. The house that you go to sleep in tonight or the condo or apartment complex, someone else will live in that place one day. There's only one thing in your life that will never, ever, ever get old, and it's the new life of Jesus. In Christ, you are not an improved creation. You are not a better person. You are a new creation. You are a new person because of Jesus. There is no greater moment in your life, beloved, than when all of your old meets all of God's new in Jesus. All of your old sin meets all of God's promises through Jesus. Jeremiah captured it this way when he wrote these words, but this I call to mind, listen to these incredible words, but, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. So many of you today need hope and here it is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies are new every morning, and I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that because I need them. His faithfulness is great. There is a new you that never gets old because of Jesus. But it gets even better. Paul says in verses 18 through 20 in 2 Corinthians 5 that you were reconciled to Christ to be a reconciler on behalf of Christ. In fact, God has given you a ministry of reconciliation to others. Through Jesus, God has made all things right with us. And now he calls us to go and bring that same good news of reconciliation to others. God has made a peace treaty, if you will, through Jesus to the world. And we are now go to, uh, called to go and herald that good news of the peace treaty to every man, woman, and child. Paul says in verse 19 here that God has entrusted to us this message of the gospel, this good news, this peace treaty. And it's the same word that, that Paul uses in his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Oftentimes we think about our relationship with God uh, and our faith in him and our trust in him, and that's certainly appropriate. But in this instance, Paul says that God is actually trusting you with something. He's putting trust in you. He's asking you to steward this incredible message of the gospel. And you're meant to go and tell as many people as you can what you've been told. In fact, let's think about it this way. Told people do what? What do told people do? Told people tell people. Loved people love people. That's what Paul is saying. If you've been loved, you go and love. If you've been told, you go and tell. And then this incredible word, everyone look at it with me in verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5. God is making his appeal through us. This is us. 
This is us as a church. And God is making his appeal to the world through us. And this is why the local church, the local church, as broken as it is because it's full of broken people, we don't have many rules around here, but one of them is no perfect people allowed. If you're a perfect person, you should not come to church here because we'll mess you up. We're broken people. We're broken people. And we need grace. But listen, listen. In spite of our brokenness, God has seen fit to use us to carry this perfect message of grace to the world. In fact, in fact, Paul says that it's because and through our brokenness, right? These, these jars of clay that we carry this message in, it's through our brokenness that people can see through that to the eternal light of Jesus inside of us. This is incredible. God is making his final appeal to the world through each of you. Your words, your actions, the way you love your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members, your friends, God is making his appeal of Jesus to the world through you, right where you are today. And I wonder for how many of you that would change your perspective on your coworkers. It would change your perspective on the situation you're facing this week. It would change your perspective of the student who sits beside you. It would change the perspective that you have of your neighbor. It would change the perspective of the person who sits at your own dinner table tonight. To put it plainly, the local church is the hope of the world, not because of us, but because of the message of Jesus that we carry to others. We are God's plan to share God's purpose with all people. And you may be thinking to yourself quietly today, does God have another plan, a backup plan? in case I mess it up? And the answer is no. The answer is no. You are God's plan to share his purpose with all people. You are the conduit of grace and mercy and love and gospel renewal to others. Paul says here in verse 20, be reconciled first and then get with the program in so many words. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You can't give away, we've said this before in the series, you cannot give away to others what you do not possess yourself. So be reconciled to God yourself. Understand the claims of Jesus over your life. Receive the new life of Jesus yourself and then run and tell other people the same new life that you've received. Martin Luther said it this way, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. If we've received the bread of life, we can't help but go and share with people around us where we've received the bread of life. You were reconciled to reconcile. And then finally here in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 21 through chapter 6, verse 1. Paul's Magna Carta, if you will. Many commentators regard verse 21 here in 2 Corinthians 5 as one of the most important passages in all of the New Testament regarding salvation. Let me me read it for you again. For our sake he made him. Who is him? What, what, What does the pronoun stand for here? Go back to verse 20. Christ. For our sake he made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
God became like us so that we could become like him. I grew up in Charlotte, and so before there were the Hornets or the Panthers or the Checkers or any other professional teams here, there was wrestling. <laughs> there was wrestling. And I'm embarrassed to say this and admit this to you, but I was a huge wrestling fan. It took me a while to come to terms with the fact that it might not be real. <laughs> There's still a little piece of me that thinks that it was real. It was all real. So the Rock and Roll Express and Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair and all of those were the professional athletes <laughs> that I watched growing up. Every, every one of these wrestlers would have a, a finishing move, and I'm embarrassed to tell you that I know many of them. <laughs> Ric Flair's was the figure four. This is Paul's finishing move. If, you, if, you've, if, you've missed, if you've missed everything, right? If you've missed everything else in the message, come back for this, okay? <laughs> Verse 21, this is the essence of the gospel. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in this passage, don't you hear, is both mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. God made him to be sin who knew no sin. And he took on the punishment of our sin upon himself. This is what is known as substitutionary atonement. That he took our place. That's mercy. We did not get what we deserve, the punishment for our sin. But it's even better because here comes grace. And in him, we might become now the righteousness of God. Grace is, is getting what you do not deserve. That you've been proclaimed righteous in the eyes of God through the substitutionary atonement of his son, Christ. The forerunner of this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, if you want to read it this week, is Isaiah 53. You'll remember many of these words, but let me remind you. Beginning in verse 4, Isaiah writes, Surely he, looking forward to Christ, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we, we esteemed him not. He was smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. That peace treaty that we now had comes through the sacrifice of Christ, and by his wounds we are healed. Listen to this final verse, verse 6, Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every single one of us his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. God placed upon Jesus all of our sins, past, present, and future. So this is the gospel that God did for you what you could not do for yourself through Jesus. And that's why Christianity is not six steps to a better you. It's not self-improvement. It's not uh, wealth and wholeness and all these things that you're going to be given because of your, your choice to follow Jesus and your own actions and your own meritorious behavior. It's Jesus and Jesus alone and what he's done for us. And that's enough. Okay, can I just plead with you here for a second? If Jesus isn't enough for you, nothing ever will be.
No other person will, will ever be enough for you. No job will be enough for you. No amount of money in your bank account will ever be enough for you. And what happens, just real quickly here, is when Jesus isn't enough for us, when we don't take God at his word and what he's saying here, what he's done for us, his mercy and his grace, when Jesus isn't enough, then we begin to place the burden of our needs on other people and we crush them. Your spouse will never be enough. Your child will never be enough. Your job will never be enough. And so if Jesus isn't enough, then you begin to place that burden on other people and you crush them. Jesus is enough for you, friends. Trust Christ. Believe in him and what he's done for you. And then share that with other people. Final verse in our passage today, chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says, working together with him. That's what we do as a church. We work together with God. It's not our work, it's his work. We partner together in the ways that God is already at work, and we join him in that. Paul says, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So here's the question. What would it mean for us as a church to take the grace of God in vain today? I find bread and I tell no one where I found it. I meet Jesus and I don't share him with anyone else. My life is transformed and I tell no one. Sometimes people ask me as a pastor, how, how big do you want your church to be? Which always makes me cringe because it's the, the absolute wrong question. It's not about how big our church is. It's about sharing Jesus with people. It's not about growing our church, it's about growing the kingdom of God. And that happens one person at a time. And here's the deal. I was once that one more person. Bottom line today, it's, it's about one more person because you were once one more person. I, I, really quickly, I grew up in a family here in Charlotte that early on in my life, my, my parents were not Christians. We didn't know Jesus. We went to church a couple of times, but we never heard the gospel in that place. I remember the pastor coming over to our house and explaining to my parents what it meant to be a Christian. And he drew a little, a little uh, wheel, a, a little hub, and he put spokes off of that wheel, and, and he explained that, that you needed to give to the church, and you needed to, to be a member of the church, and you, you needed to volunteer, and you needed to, to do all these things, and you needed to, uh, belief was one spoke on the wheel, and you had to do all these things, and that's what it meant to be a Christian. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible says believe, trust Christ. It wasn't until my mom was invited to a neighborhood tea that turned out to be a, a Romans Bible study <laughs> that she heard about Jesus. She, she went to that circle and, and studied the scriptures and, and, and heard other people talking about how Jesus had changed their, their life and how they had received the new life of Jesus and and she herself prayed to receive Christ. 
That same family invited us to their local church here in Charlotte. And I'll never forget riding home in the station wagon one Sunday afternoon after church and my dad saying, I, I, I went forward today and prayed to receive Christ. A, an old school altar call. He walked the center aisle and prayed to receive Jesus. I have a twin sister and an older sister. All three of us at the church heard about Jesus and our lives were changed. We all prayed to receive Christ through the ministry of the local church, faithfully sharing the message of Jesus and Jesus alone. One more person. I would love one of my prayers is that the next Billy Graham would come from our city. And even more specifically, that the next Billy Graham would come from our church. Wouldn't that be incredible from, from our ministry that a young man or a young woman right now who's faithfully hearing about Jesus and being taught about Jesus would have a fire stirred in their hearts and receive a call to share with as many people as possible the message of Jesus, to bring gospel renewal to our city and world. But here, here's what I know. Here's what I know. That will never, ever happen if there aren't a whole lot of Edward Kimballs. People who will take one more step, have one more conversation, make one more effort to bring gospel renewal to just one more person. So this is us. This is us. A community of Christ followers bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world one person at a time. To God be the glory. Let's pray together. Where will we be without you, Jesus? Where would we be without you? Thank you today for coming to us. Thank you today for taking on yourself for taking upon yourself all of our sins, all of our brokenness, every way that we've trespassed against you, past, present, and future. You paid for it all. Thank you for your mercy that we don't get what we deserve, separation and punishment. And thank you for your grace that we get what we don't deserve, your righteousness and your peace and your perfect love. Help us to be reminded of that today for ourselves and help us today to be encouraged once again to share that message that changed our lives with others, to bring gospel renewal wherever we go this week. It's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen.